We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's show was brought to you by SAP. Who am I and how am I feeling? I'm Clive Owen and I'm feeling great, thanks. How about you? You feeling happy? A little angry? People have so many feelings, millions of them. But what if businesses could really understand all of those feelings and then act on them to make their customers feel better? It's a thing. It's SAP Experience Management, and it's here. Because the future of business has feelings, and I've got a feeling we're all going to like it. Go to sap.com xm to learn more. This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balkman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balkman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. Today I'm speaking with Dominic Laferriere, a winner of more than $40,000 in his High Stakes Fantasy Football career. The author of Fantasy Football Intelligence, Laferriere talks about the importance of his process in getting six of eight teams into the FFPC main event and Football Guys Players Championship Championship Rounds, as well as his thoughts on the post-Wentz injury Eagles, starting Aaron Rodgers this week, and more. You can follow Laferriere on Twitter at FantasyQB. Also to kick things off in this podcast, we'll hear from 2016 FFPC main event co-champ David Hubbard, who offers his advice on starting Greg Olson this week in tight end premium formats, and who he will be rooting for in a potential main event overall title repeat in this penultimate weekend of action. You can follow Hubbard on Twitter at 208-858-740. Before we get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners-only 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the Rotoviz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. 
Now, without further ado, let's check in with the champ, David Hubbard. Dak Prescott, uh, probably benched by a lot of fantasy owners over the last couple of weeks, uh, ever since Ezekiel Elliott uh, was suspended. He struggled, but last week against the Giants, just crushed it. You know, 300 plus yards, three touchdowns. You look at what's going on uh, in week 15 here taking on the Oakland Raiders on the road, is he a guy that you can feel good about in your championship round lineup? Uh, I think so, definitely. I guess Oakland, he'll probably, uh, probably, uh, I like the way what they were, and the way they're using Rod Smith now, and, and uh, I think they want to throw the ball. So, yeah, I definitely uh, think Dak's playable, and you especially look- with a quarterback quarterback pool that's out there, and then Oakland can't stop anybody. <laughs> the only problem is Dallas might get way up in that game, and, and it might be they might run in the second half because Oakland's like a total mess. And you and you look at you know week sixteen when Elliott is slated to come back. I mean Prescott could be, I mean he could be money this entire championship round. Oh no doubt about it. Yeah, and Seattle's uh, has some injuries on defense now, so their defense is not quite as good as it was. And and uh, so yeah, it's, uh, setting them nicely for Dak. We're uh, we're still you know fuzzy about the details, but they're you know at the time of this recording, Aaron Rodgers is still on injured reserve. He has not been taken off by Green Bay yet. We don't know if he's going to come back. However, if he does indeed come back for Week 15, you look at a guy who's been on a lot of benches, um, you know, since he's been hurt, and that's Jordy Nelson. Um, but with the rapport that Rodgers has shared with uh, Jordy Nelson, really over their entire careers, uh, including this season. Is Nelson a guy that you'd be willing to to stick in your lineup in in Rogers' first game back uh, at Carolina? I, I would be shocked if there's many Jordy teams in the shootout. I don't, I don't know how they got there. If they got there, they're good because Jordy has been horrible. So I, I don't know. I, I don't have any Jordy teams, and I probably wouldn't fire him up. Uh, I have some Rogers teams, so I'm hoping he is uh, activated. to have a couple Rogers teams that are that are in contention so it would be great if they brought him back but now what i'm reading today i'm not i'm not sure he's going to come off i think the doctors might take the cautious route and uh, he might not play and hunley's playing good so i don't, I don't know if they're going to bring him back or not, or not i remember a few years ago when when aaron Rodgers broke his other collarbone and it was like a three-week thing like is is this the week he comes back is this the week he comes back and and he was constantly ruled out we haven't really seen that so far this season uh, because Rodgers was not eligible to come off uh, until this week. So maybe we undergo the same thing again. I, and if they lose to Carolina, maybe we don't see Rodgers at all. It, it remains to be seen, and we'll obviously follow it closely. You know, another guy that's missed a lot of time this year, Dave, uh, to, uh, to injury has been Greg Olson. He breaks his foot uh, early in the season, comes back, um, and, uh, you know, is, is really ineffective. Then he misses uh, a week because they, you know, the, you know, the artificial turf uh, question, they didn't want to bring him back on that. And then he, get, he comes up, pulls up lame again in um, this past weekend. In a game he played more than 90% of the offensive snaps, he registers a zero. It's a tight end premium format, so you'd love to have Greg Olson out there um, for teams that maybe stashed him in, you know, in leagues that he was cut that want to deploy him here as a flex this week, is he a guy that they can count on, or is it best just to stay away? I would stay away. He doesn't look right to me. Uh, he limped off there if you watch the games. He limped off several times. I know they said he played 92% of the snaps, but uh, there was a couple of times when he limped off. I said, he ain't coming back in, but I guess he found a way to get back out there and block. But I just don't think he has the explosion he had. and He'd probably be better off not playing 
and uh, resting that foot and getting 100% next year because obviously the foot's bothering him. I don't know if it's from soreness and it's just in his head or if there's actually something structurally still wrong with your foot. But I, I'd, if I own Greg Olson, I wouldn't be planning. And, and I would say, too, for anybody who's, who's contemplating it, with the exception of the last two weeks, uh, Green Bay's actually, their defense has actually been pretty good against opposing tight ends. So that it's not a great matchup for them, even though on paper it seems like it is. It may not be the greatest uh, way to spend a roster spot in your starting lineup. Uh, this weekend. Final question, Dave, before we let you uh, go uh, this week. We are in uh, championship round week number two. Only two weeks of football left. Uh, you obviously are the reigning uh, 2016 main event champ in the FFPC, but you look at that format and the football guys format. How, how many prospects do you and Nelson have uh, that you're excited about uh, maybe, you know, scoring another big six figure prize this year? Uh, main event, we only have one that I think has the juice to do it, but it's it's down about 70 points or so. And the guy in first has a nice team, so it would take a, a monumentous uh, effort to, to get that team home. It's going to have to have multiple 200-point weeks. So the team has the makeup to do it, but I don't know if it can make up the ground. And football guys, we actually have a couple of interesting teams. Like I was saying, one of them has Rodgers on it that I really like. But if he doesn't come back, then I don't know if it'll have the juice. Uh, we'll see. This, this week's crucial. Uh, you got to average about 180 a week to to get it done. So we had a couple teams put up over 180. So those teams are obviously still alive. And then just have to see what they do this week. But if Rodgers doesn't come back for that one team I'm talking about, I don't I don't know if uh, it has the juice to get there or not. So. And it only takes but, one, one team to take it down, obviously. So as long as you have the prospects in there uh, in each of those events, who knows? And, and we'll see what happens uh, both in uh, week 15, week 16. In, in addition, Dave, to, to Rodgers, who are the guys that you're going to be cheering hard for uh, this uh, this weekend? Surprisingly, Jimmy Graham. Yeah, he put up a goose <laughs> egg, but we still have teams in the hunt with Jimmy Graham, uh, Evan Ingram, uh, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. Russell Wilson, those guys pretty all, much. Uh, and, some punches. Yeah. And, and all explosive guys that are having good seasons. Certainly that's uh, that's what you want. Yeah. And, uh, and they had a down week 14, but it, things change in a hurry in fantasy football, so you never know. They certainly do, my friend. You could be out 80 in, in, uh, with two weeks to go and still win it at the right uh, – Right mixture of teams, uh, right mix. If your team has the right mixture of guys that put up multiple two hundred point weeks, so you're totally right. It's happened before. It it, it might happen again this year. We'll see. Uh, thanks so much uh, again, Dave, for uh, for joining the show this week and really all season. I really uh, appreciated uh, everything that uh, you and Nelson have brought to the table on a on a week to week basis. Good luck in week fifteen and the rest of the way, man. Thank you, Bucky. I enjoyed it. Thanks to David Hubbard for his input this week. Now here's $40,000 high-stakes winner Dominic LaFerriere. Dom, when you are not uh, playing high-stakes fantasy football, tell the Rotoviz listeners what you are doing for a living. I am in the much-loved field of being a lawyer. <laughs> it's, it's one of the more beloved professions in, in North America. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, listen, I, I got to tell you, you had a very – I mean, we're not we're not over with yet. We're, we're going into week 15 of the season. But you've had a very successful season uh, so far. You've uh, placed two teams. Well, first of all, you've placed you, – you played five football guys teams. You got four of them as the number one or number two seed into the championship round. You did the same thing in the, in the main event with uh, three teams. You got two of those three in the championship round as well. And as you, you know, I looked at these teams, the, really the, the – big-time factors uh, in the backfield, and really the glue of the entire team. 
It's been the one-two punch uh, of Le'Veon Bell and Alvin Kamara uh, this season. Now, Bell obviously was a first-round pick. We all knew he was going to be a first-round pick, top of the first round. Kamara, not so much. Tell us what you saw in Kamara in the pre-draft process, knowing that he was going to start the season both behind Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson based on you know the depth chart that we saw from New Orleans. What was it that you liked about Kamara? Well, I was really high on Mark Ingram coming into the uh, offseason um, before the draft and before AP was added because the O-line of the Saints is solid. The schedule was amazing. They had six very easy matchups and only two tough ones in the first 11 weeks of the regular season, which is very key in the FFPC if you want to end up in the overall championship. But the thing about Ingram that always got my attention was that even when he's playing at his best the previous seasons, like last year, he was only averaging 44% of the snaps. So that left a lot of room for a guy like Kamara, once he was drafted, to be a somewhat of a perfect zero RB candidate because he had he had the PPR pedigree. He was in a very high-scoring offense that also happened to be the number one offense in targets to running back in the last couple of years. And I already mentioned the easy schedule. So the situation was ideal. Um, AP being added, for me, it did more against Ingram's value than Kamara's. But it kept Kamara's ADP low enough that I ended up getting him in most of my rosters. And I look at Kamara next year, too. I mean, this guy, he's probably like a second or third round pick, right? Well, the funny thing about Mark Ingram's contract is if he makes the AP first team all-star, his contract is void. So there's not even a guarantee he's going to be back with the Saints which would make Kamara a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get away from that given what he's put up. I, you know, I own him in a couple of places, and I keep waiting for him to have that bad week. And, I, I mean, I guess you could make the case that it happened in week 14. But, you know, one drive into that game, and he was already almost at six fantasy points. Uh, you know, it's, it's just insane, not only his usage, but, you know, what he's doing with that opportunity. It's crazy. You're right. I mean, he, he might even be a first-round pick if Ingram is gone. We'll have to... We'll have to see uh, what happens there. A first-round pick that I alluded to earlier uh, is Le'Veon Bell, also on your team. Now, when you look at um, Zero RB, the strategy, is he is Le'Veon Bell really the only type of player that you throw that out the window uh, if, you, if you're able to uh, you know, get a top two, top three pick? Um, otherwise, are you going Zero RB? What's sort of been your philosophy on that over the last few years? Well, for Bell, sure, because he is an RB1 and also a wide receiver two combined in a single draft pick. Right. So he's like a he's like Voltron, like all combined together. Um, and he can count on a very high floor every week. Um, I suspect next is going to be very running back heavy in the first round because of a lot of what happened this year. Um, but you're also looking at, a, again, a very good running back draft class in 2018. So there may be some major shakeup happening um, with respect to running backs, but also you may create more opportunities for zero RB. Um, I'm a fan of the theory, but in the FFPC, I like to have one good solid anchor before I go in the zero RB direction myself, because you can actually play four running backs in this format and only two receivers. So, Sometimes I just go one way, I go the other. In some FF, uh, FPC leagues, I went more tight and heavy. There's one league where I had Gronk, Kelsey, and Hurts, and that team had been great. 
Right. It's, uh, I mean, it's just crazy. Like, well, and, and we've talked about that too. We've had many guests on this show come on uh, of all the different ways that you can build a team with the two flex, with the tight end premium scoring. It, it certainly makes it uh, very entertaining. I look at um, the, the gentleman who took over the football guys players championship lead after week one, put up a 248 this past week, and he had four Ooh. running backs uh, on his team too. You know, you get Kareem, yep. Kareem Hunt, Jordan Howard, um, and now I'm forgetting uh, uh, the uh, the other two that he had, uh, Kenyon Drake and Jamal Williams. So obviously, you know, none of those guys outside of, of Howard were drafted very high. Hunt, if you could get him in the seventh, eighth round in, in July and, and early August, I mean, he was paying off there too. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Obviously, you can do it uh, with the, you know, the Grant Kelsey Ertz uh, method as well. Um, so it's going to be entertaining these next uh, couple of weeks to see what these high stakes players do and, and how the championship uh, is one. Um, and, and speaking of those uh, championship winners, these these players that are competing for this $250,000 prize, yourself included, um, coming off a 10-catch performance in Week 14 was Eric Ebron. Now, this is tight end premium scoring. Is is he, could he be, I can't even believe I'm about to say this, but could he be a championship winner for you, Dom, in the main event or for somebody else? You see, he's someone I drafted heavily based on the volume myself and others were predicting him to get last year he was averaging 6.8 targets per game and 82 percent of the snaps with decent air yards and for me anything less than six targets per game or lower than 70 percent of the snaps is typically not good enough for volume at tight end in the ffpc but what happened this season is really he was playing under 50 percent of the snaps the Earth's injury forced me to play him last week, and he ended up with 62% snap, which is still 20% less than what he was averaging in 2016 when he was playing, but with 11 targets. So there's a double anomaly in this. He's playing Chicago next week. Last time they played, he was only on 44% of the snap. So unless there's a serious game script uh, change or game plan change in the coaching staff, um, I it's hard to see him <laughs> narrowing those numbers again with uh, double-digit targets on maybe where he's less than 50% of the snaps. So I'm going to have to dig really deep into whether there are reports out there this week, at the end of the week, that he's going to see uh, the same playtime or above to have any hopes of actually plugging him in to have uh, um, an ideal number of maybe seven targets minimum. That's uh, it. And he, even if Wentz is gone and Ertz is back, I'm going to start Ertz at tight end for sure. I'll just see if I play Ebron at the flex. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think at this point, um, it's tough. Even without, like I said, even without Wentz, it's tough to sit Ertz if he is healthy uh, enough to go, uh, especially for a guy like Ebron. But Ebron would make an interesting flex play, uh, too, if you can load up on uh, those tight end points uh, like that. Now, at the time of this recording, Dominic, we do not know if Aaron Rodgers is going to be activated off IR this week. I, I've been saying the last couple of days, the longer they wait to make this decision, I think the less likely it is uh, that he is activated. However, for the sake of uh, conversation here, assuming he does get activated, uh, are you playing him on the road in Carolina against a, you know, a fairly tough defense that actually hasn't been that great against the pass? Uh, over the last uh, month, really, um, or Ben Roethlisberger, who is uh, is going to be at home, uh, you know, where he loves to put up big numbers like he did on Sunday night. 
uh, against New England. Which way are you going if Rodgers is indeed activated off IR? Unless it somehow snows like it did in the Bills and Colts game, like it is here in Ottawa right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Ben. Is averaging too many yards in the last few games. Um, the top seed in the AFC is on the line. Well, with what happened to the Pats yesterday, maybe less so. But he's at home. And I do have a semi, semi-stack with Le'Veon Bell and Ben if they do connect on some passing touchdowns. So unless some tough December weather shows up, I don't see a reason yet to go with Rodgers. We added Rodgers on that team with my partner, Rob Fallon, um, because we lost Deshaun Watson earlier this year. And we just decided we need something big for the week 14 to 16. There's, there is a chance Rodgers come back, so let's add him because at that time, Ben wasn't doing anything over 20 points. So it was a big loss to lose Deshaun Watson. And uh, we just crossed our fingers and picked up Aaron, and now we have decisions to make. Yeah, it's certainly it's a it's a good problem to have. I always, you know, when I, whenever you have, I was faced with this decision um, at a much smaller scale in whether to play uh, Duke Johnson or Sammy Watkins uh, at flex uh, in a league this past week. And you know, like I was I was talking to my high stakes fantasy football hour, uh, a co-host Dave Gerzak, and he often says in these cases it's it's really tough sometimes to get the right one in there. I mean, it seems like it's a 50-50 shot, but oftentimes we, we make the wrong call when, when there are, there's so much going for them. But the fact that, um, you know, Rogers hasn't played in, in, you know, whatever it's been a month and a half, two months, um, it, it, and you're going on the road, it's, it, boy, it'd be difficult to, to play him over a white hot uh, Ben Roethlisberger uh, right now. Uh, let's, let's get into the minutia here a little bit, uh, Dominic, two guys that you had in one of your championship round lineups this past weekend, San Francisco 49ers receiver Marquise Goodwin and Seattle Seahawks running back Mike Davis. These guys were not really drafted at all. They were picked up, um, you know, uh, during the season. I guess Goodwin might have been drafted in a couple of spots. But do you see yourself rolling both of these guys out there again? And as we look towards 2018, is there a future for Goodwin with Garoppolo in San Francisco? Is there a future to Mike Davis behind that offensive line and Russell Wilson in Seattle? Uh, what about this week and then uh, the future for both these guys? So I'll start with Goodwin, who, uh, yes, I'm going to plug him in. He got 12 targets uh, and 215 air yards in the last game. Uh, his high-volume usage has been consistent in both games with Jimmy Garoppolo so far. So he has the potential to be a true monster one week. And he's going to start for me again uh, because he's playing Tennessee. We'll see about Jacksonville the week after. But in addition to his volume, he's got high-popping Olympic-level athleticism. And really, his numbers are very similar to what people were all hot about when they were talking about Josh Gordon two weeks ago. So the only thing that has yet to happen between him and Jimmy Garoppolo is touchdowns. The volume is there for him to hit a 30 points plus game. And I'm going to take a chance on that. I don't see any many flexes, possibilities on my rosters that could reach that right now that I took from waiver wires. I mean, I did have a lot of Pierre Garçon this week. As soon as I learned that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was traded to the Niners, I looked at every rosters I had, and if there was a chance to add... Goodwin, who would be the number one receiver there. As for Mike Davis, a little bit of a similar story. I had a lot of Chris Carson at the start of the year, especially in Vegas. And uh, he was basically a filler for Zach Ertz in some leagues. 
it depends on his injury, but the volume is there. He could have a 20-touch game coming because that's what it seems to be trending to. I mean, even the first quarter last week was a little bit um, ugly in the numbers, um, in the sense of numbers. I did watch him. I did see him like run three first downs in a row against the Jacksonville defense, and he's tied to Russell Wilson, who's been very hot lately. So I want a piece of that. I want an RB that's tied to one of the top five quarterbacks if I can. As far as 2018, I don't see them necessarily being in the position that they are right now, meaning the WR1 with Jimmy and the RB1 with Russell. Um, a lot of things could change. It could be Pierre Garçon and Chris Carson back because Pete Carroll, all's, all he seems to want for Christmas is Chris Carson. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's, I, and a lot of stuff is going to change uh, till then. I, you know, I, I always joke and only half joking that this time of year, all my teams are out of it. Uh, so I'm already looking towards 2018 and I just, you know, forget about these last two weeks, but uh, there's, it's always fun to look forward. And obviously Carson Wentz is going to be one of the players looking forward to his 2018 season since he is done uh, this year with the torn ACL. We touched on this a little bit earlier, uh, Dominic, we were talking about Zach Hertz. I mean, you're, you're going to plug him in uh, over an Eric Ebron, uh, even with Nick Foles at quarterback. I'm curious as, as to what your thoughts are on the rest of the Eagles skill players, guys like Nelson Aguilar, guys like Alshon Jeffrey. Uh, and then you look at the running backs there with, with uh, you know, Jay, led by Jay Ajayi. Are, is there any, I mean, are you benching any of these guys that were sort of fringe starts before with Foles uh, running the controls there uh, instead of Wentz? Or is it sort of status quo by and large for those players? Um, with Jeffrey, the feeling is quite similar to Ertz. I mean, the matchups against the Giants and Raiders are coming up at too good. So it's not necessarily going to feel well in my stomach, but I would start both of them. Uh, this is a team with, uh, that is still a lot on the line when it comes to the playoff. However, if they do get to a lead, there's a real chance that they'll play conservative to limit mistakes at the QB position. Um, so the game script in those two games could favor the, the running game as well. And it makes Jay Ajayi worth considering even more. But really, myself, I trust the coaching rotation of running backs with Philadelphia even less than I trust Nick Foles' efficiency. Right. I, I, and, I mean, I the thing is, when you look at um, where you drafted these guys, I mean, if, where you drafted Ajayi, where you drafted Jeffrey, it's going to be very difficult for you to have a better option um, than, than those guys at this point in the season. Maybe you do. I mean, it's, it's certainly possible. But um, you, you're, I love the matchups here uh, coming up for uh, for the Eagles, with the like you said, with the Giants and the Raiders. These are two exploitable defenses, and we'll see if, if he can take advantage. Let's get into the uh, philosophy of, of playing the FFPC and, and high-stakes fantasy football here. This, Tom, this is not the first time that you've been in the thick of it uh, in the championship round. You've, uh, you've obviously been here before. And um, I'm just kind of curious if I was to say to you, if a high-stakes player does fill in the blank correctly, he or she will probably end up getting to the championship round. What's the one thing, uh, most important thing for, uh, for high-stakes players to be able to do to make sure that uh, they're assuring themselves of maximum success? Um, There's one thing for each step of the fantasy season process. Like during the draft, Keep your eyes on the draft board. Ignore what people are seeing at the table or in the chat room, but don't ignore what they're doing with their picks. 
because it can mean a lot for you for this round and also to predict the next ones. During the season, play the waiver wire at least one week ahead. Look to the week after that and the one after as well. Injury bias and lack of volume will happen. Um, so if you're one plus week ahead of other teams when it comes to a flex play or defense with a good matchup, you're also more likely to finish ahead of them. And lastly, during the offseason and draft prep, I separate football stats that will predict the value over those that are worthless, but still get a lot of airtime just because people are used to hearing about them. And I think a subscription to Rollovis is very good to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. That good. That and that's those are two, or excuse me, three really good points uh, as far as um, you know what you need to be doing uh, during the draft, prepping for your draft, what you're doing for the draft, and then what you're doing for for the season as well. That's and I and I'll say this again, too, and I've probably said it on this show several times. <clears throat> I still struggle with you know looking a week ahead, looking two weeks ahead. You know sometimes when you're playing. In like the main, like a main event type format, um, where you're going up against, you know, some of the best high stakes players out there. It's easier to look ahead, you know, because the waiver wires, you're you're gonna find less gems out there. Uh, but I think for a lot of people, if once you kind of master that, looking a week ahead, two weeks ahead, you are setting yourself up for success uh, more times than you are not. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, really successful year for you, Dom. Uh, two out of three teams in the main event uh, championship round, four out of five in the FPC. When you look back at the waiver wire, the drafts, what you did right this year, was there a consistent theme among those six championship round teams, or did they all sort of get there via different routes? I just follow my process, and I ensure that at the draft I have situational depth at each position, meaning I wasn't weak at any position. It's a short regular season in the FFPC, so oftentimes if I, uh, I have to decide between two very good players in the same round, um, I might even go with the one that has the edge and strength of schedule for the first 11 weeks just to give me an edge there. And by strength of schedule, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. I like to look at basically separates how many very easy matchups can I forecast versus tough ones and make a call there. Uh, my most owned players this year were Dalvin Cook, Zach Ertz, and Kamara. Um, none of them were very helpful in week 14. Right. <laughs> and the irony is, if my rosters today were like I originally drafted them, I might be in a better place for flex play because I had a very heavy exposure to Jamal Williams, who I drafted just as many times as Kamara, Rex Burkett, and Josh Gordon. So it's just ironic right now that uh, week 14, Jamal Williams had the Kamara week and not, uh, and not otherwise. But, you know, what matters to have a shot at the overall championship is to get on base and uh, make it to the championship rounds and... Uh, I've been there. I've been very close to the first place overall four years ago. Uh, Star said decision basically cost me that one, so it still burns. But uh, I'm still happy with the process. I'm still happy with the fact that uh, it's working and I'm having success making the championship run. Yeah, I mean, and you can't, you can't, all you can do is, it's kind of, I mean, to, to compare it to poker, it's like all you can do is make the best possible decision with the information that you have, the information that you've gained over the course of a hand, over the course of a season, um, over the course of a week, you know, and 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 the, the, we play the games because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, if it was, if we knew, if if the odds always, you know, if, if the the most likely outcome always happened, this wouldn't be any fun. Uh, so certainly, it's 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 a fun game we play, and and certainly. 
to go with the joy, there has to be a little bit of heartbreak. I'm just curious. One one thing I wanted to ask you that that I thought of when we were talking about the championship round, for teams that are you know not in like say the top 50 or the top 100 or you know teams that are further down the the championship round leaderboard, if you were one of them when you're looking at um, trying to get back up there, taking some chances, are you starting maybe? some higher uh, ceiling, lower floor type guys in your lineup to try to make a run up there? Or does it still come down to like, look, I think this guy's going to put up more points than this guy. I'm putting him in my lineup. How do you sort of weigh that decision, um, those two choices, when you have to make that call? So at this time, I would go with the people, the guys that can give me the most points, no matter what the ownership situation is. So I did a survey of... uh, the main event teams that were playing in the championship round last week, they had uh, Alvin Kamara, and, you know, it, it was 22% that I came up with, which wasn't as high as I thought. So the variance may not be there that much to avoid ownership like you would do maybe in DFS. It becomes much more relevant if week 16, come the afternoon games, when there's only like four or five games left, and you're within uh, 20 to 50 points range, then you definitely do your homework and uh, may have to make some moves. But uh, going into this week, um, I'm going to take somebody like Marcus Goodwin, who could, if he reaches the max value at each of his um, metrics, um, give me a huge, huge week. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of football left to be played, too. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's only two weeks, but um, it, it, it will be uh, entertaining. Dom, you've been uh, very gracious with your time. Once again, I want to thank you for joining the show this week. Before uh, we let you go, uh, a sleeper for you that may find his way into your lineups. I guess Goodwin could be that uh, type of guy. Uh, and then a stud that you actually think might be better off on uh, people's benches uh, in Week 15 with so much on the line. Well, for a sleeper, if Aaron Rodgers comes back, Jordan Nelson, yeah. Bell, uh, I've got him somewhere. I'll plug him in for sure. I think he'll come back to life if Aaron is alive to play this week. And um, in terms of uh, who to sit, I mean, I would never sit him. But uh, if I were a DeAndre Hopkins owner, I would give that 40 points burger week a big hug because now Houston team – Led by its third QB of the year, is going to face Jacksonville. I mean, you're not going to bench Hopkins, but maybe you would rather face the 49ers again. Yeah, that that Jalen Ramsey versus DeAndre Hopkins matchup is going to be very entertaining as far as, uh, you know, who gets the better end of that. And obviously there's a lot of Hopkins owners that are counting on big things. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, Dominic, thanks so much for joining the show this week. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck to you in the uh, – in the championship round, both of the main event in the FFPC and the Football Guys Players Championship, uh, we are definitely rooting for you, and uh, we'll see what happens, man. Thanks, Eric. I'll see you in Vegas next year. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the Rotoviz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage rotoviz.com slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. 
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. You shouldn't go to Barnes & Noble and buy 10,000 books just so you can build a book fortress and yell out, I am your book leader. You shouldn't buy 147 copies of War and Peace, stuff them inside turkeys and serve them at Thanksgiving as turbukins. And you definitely shouldn't buy up all the copies of Dork Diaries, causing the neighborhood kids to stage a protest in your front yard. But you could. Because at the Barnes & Noble Book Hall, you can get over a 1,000 titles for 50% off. Stock up at your local Barnes & Noble. Two bookings are fictitious and should not be cooked at home.